this episode. Yeah, well, case study is a, a dirty word for me. It's come to mean a particular style of presenting what I call vendor success. Here is our client in the shit, as we would say in Australia. We rode in on our white horse and fixed everything, and now everything's great. Where are they? Where, where are they in that little situation? They're, they're the creators of the mess, right? That's their right. status. Yeah, that, that's the inference, that isn't it? Study. How quickly can you make me care about the buyer's problem in your success story? The, the most important way is how you start the story. Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everyone. I'm Sean Callahan, And today I have a special guest, uh, my colleague, Mike Adams, who runs our story-powered sales business. Uh, welcome, Mike. Great to have you on the podcast. Hi, Sean. Thank you. Look, you know, one of the things that you and I have been talking about over the last well, number of months now, isn't it? Uh, probably even longer than that, is just the, uh, I guess, the, the usefulness of case studies in organizations. I know this really came to, to mind for me a number of years ago because I was asked to go to um, New York to do a project for SAP and help them, if you like, translate their use cases or their user uh, cases into something a little more useful for their salespeople. But yeah. That's that's sort of the topic I want to talk about. And of course, we're going to share a story and do all the things that we normally do. Um, but Mike, what's what was your sort of, I guess, how did you get into this idea of rethinking, uh, you know, these uh, case studies? Yeah, well, case study is a, a dirty word for me, really. I, I The problem with the word case study, Sean, is that um, it's come to mean a particular style of presenting what I call vendor success. Yep. Uh, the successes of your company. And, um, and I like to position a success story as something different, something that showcases the client, the buyer's success. And there's a very significant mind switch required. I remember I was visiting a, a client. I didn't do a huge amount of work for them, but they were here in Melbourne, in South Melbourne. And I was waiting in the lobby to meet the CEO. This is probably about five or six years ago. And they had a, a framed case studies all through the lobby and then down the corridor there might have been like a hundred of these and they were all in identical format and the format was um situation uh, it's problem situation something like problem situation yeah. um our solution result so three parts very typical format and i characterize them you know here is our client in the shit as we would say in australia we rode in on our white horse and fixed everything and now everything's great and if you can imagine yourself as the buyer hearing or reading those kind of stories, where are they? Where are they in that little situation? They're, they're the creators of the mess, right? That's their right. status. Yeah, that, that's the in inference, that isn't it? Study. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm feeling that, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, a buyer isn't really receiving that so well. What they really are is vendor success stories. And that is 99% of them. If you just go on any website, go to the case studies part, you'll read these three-part sort of case studies. And they really, I think, are only for internal consumption. They're not for buyers. Because and I, and I've noticed, too, that they're very thin. 
right? Because they're thin on detail. I guess everyone is uh, doing their best to not to give away. I don't know why they don't want to give away some of that detail, but it, it seems yes, very thin. Yes, if you go on to the consulting company websites, those are very thin because they have this um, exalted idea that their intellectual property is super valuable in comparison to their client's knowledge. But I would say in tech companies, which is where I've spent most of the time, Sean, they're very abstract and technical. They're, they're laden with acronyms and buzzwords and awful jargon from the tech industry, right. which again alienates them from their buyer because their buyer isn't typically of that, you know, of that world. Yeah, the funny thing is, haven't they? They're all sort of talking about, uh, you know, talking to the business lines in business language, and you know, yes. and yet it misses that sometimes, doesn't it? Exactly. What about what about? Uh, I guess the equivalent of this for internal audiences, you know, we're doing a project for a big steel organization at the moment and they're doing a trans digital transformation and they've got an internal team that has to tell essentially success stories internally. Does it change much? Does it differ in that environment? I don't think it changes at all. Um, you know, internal teams have the same problem as buyers uh, with respect to their other their audience within their company has the same problem that buyers have with sellers. You know, we worked recently with a strategy team in one of the big um, gas companies here in Australia. And, and with the reason we were doing the work is whenever their strategy people get up to talk, nobody can understand what they're talking about, you know? So they have a, sort of the identical communication problem and, you know, they talk in, in abstract terms about the problems they solve instead of concrete terms about what it's like to be on the receiving end of those solutions. Well, since we're talking about concrete terms, how about we uh, hear, if you can share with us, uh, an example of a success story, and, uh, and then we can jump into the, some of the detail around yes. it. Yes. I think there's some lovely things for us to discuss there. Absolutely. Well, I'll do a story inside a story. Um, early this year in March, I was asked to do a keynote presentation for um, an Israeli software company, um, quite a large international company, and they do um, what I would consider the world's most boring <laughs> service. They, they write um, code to connect old mainframe computers with more modern applications so that's their kind of backroom business that they do they're very good at it yeah and um and when i'm doing a keynote i really like to see if i can find example stories from the client organization because when we talk about storytelling it's great to hear sort of sample stories but it's even better to hear an example from your own organization so i talk with their head of sales and and marketing and you know i said can you point me to a good example. And they said, yeah, we've got this great example that we've, even the client has gone on video to, uh, to give a testimonial for this particular example we did. So I jumped on their website and listened to their client. And the guy's name was uh, David Martinez. And he's the head of IT architecture at a bank in Panama called Critical. But the problem is his testimonial is even more abstract than your average, <laughs> than your average uh, <laughs> vendor one, because he's a very technical guy himself, right? And he's talking in very technical language. I couldn't understand what he was talking about. So then I went back to, the, to try to get the backstory from the, the people from the company I was working with. And I got that story. And, and when I gave the keynote, this is the story that I, that I told. David Martinez is the head of IT architecture in one of the top 10 banks in, in Panama. And early in 2020, he received a request from the Panama Canal Authority for uh, software 
to connect the ships out in the oceans, the Pacific or Atlantic Ocean, uh, that needed to pass through the uh, Panama Canal. Right. And uh, they wanted this software to be like an app that would run on a mobile phone that would allow the captains to schedule their passage through the canal. But also they wanted to be able to check against a blacklist what types of ships are allowed through, which ones aren't allowed through, calculate the price and let them pay before they came through. And David looked at this and thought, well, you know, good idea, but I'm running this ancient system from the early 90s. I rather doubt that we could really do that. But he had five uh, people from, from our company. From, I'll, I'll tell this story as if I'm with the Open Legacy Company. So from the, our company on site in Panama, working on around 200 microservices for this ancient software system that he had. So he took the, the tender request to those guys and said, what do you think? And they said, yeah, easy. We can do that. No problem. Easy. And David's thinking, right, easy for you to say, but if this thing doesn't work, I've got not just the reputation of my company, but, you know, Panama doesn't receive any income and global trade collapses. You know, I'm, I need to be really sure. So they went through and they really planned it out and um, su submitted a proposal to the um, Panama Canal, Author Canal Authority and they won. And today, 14,000 ships a year, 235 million tonnes of cargo is scheduled and paid for through the Credit Corp Bank's uh, app designed by our company. And David Martinez is a hero because uh, in early 2021, they won the award for most innovative bank in Panama. Wow. That's great. Yeah, so you notice that the story is, is all, you know, it's concrete language. I'm just telling you what happened in a pretty sort of normal business language, not trying not to talk about APIs and microservices or any of the technical aspect. Yes, that's right. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, really came up in that SAP work that I did was that they, they had discovered that their salespeople found it very difficult to orally tell their case studies right because it just wasn't in a flow and a format that was natural to do it and so they, what they would do is just talk in their own way about it and then they would just slide the case study across the table which probably went straight into the round file yes, um, yes. and so i think i think that's that's one of the key elements but now i know that as you're going through that you're using a structure a structure that's yes. right and it'd be great. Let's let's unpick that structure so people can understand how to put these types of things together. The the most important way is how you start the story. Right. Um, most salespeople, you know, they're very proud of their successes, and they start with, "We have this client. I have this client." And when you start with us, you typically make your company the central character of the story almost immediately, yeah. or yourself almost immediately. Yeah. So the the non obvious and a little bit difficult coaching to do here is to say, start with your client, start with them. I started with, with David Martinez, and I told you he was the IT architect for this bank in Panama, and he had this problem. He got presented with a challenge, which was, you know, do we bid for this tender or not, right? I haven't talked about the software su supply company yet at all. Right. So just like what I say is the, how quickly can you make me care about the buyer's problem in your success story. Yes. You know? So how's David going to solve this problem? He's got this tender, he's got this ancient software. What's he going to do? Now I introduce the vendor and they happen to be already on site, which is interesting. That's very, it's almost always very interesting information 
how your company came, became connected with the buyer. It often passes excellent referential information. Well, your company is big enough to already have five people on site in Panama. That says something about your company. You know, you're obviously yes. an international company. You're credible. You know, so without me having to brag about how great our company is and we're international and we have people working all over the world, I've just nicely passed that information in the story kind of for free, right? Yes. Yeah. And then our people get involved in helping David solve his problem. They're not taking over the problem. David's the one who has to solve his problem. So there's a joint plan here. They're working together on a, on a plan. Could this work? And then we've almost always have objections and wrong beliefs maybe david's thinking i don't know this looks too big you know this he's got a, a a thing in his mind that says we could mess this up this this looks really difficult and the vendor is saying no no we do this all the time this is not difficult we can show you how to do it right so they're actually overcoming an objection in the buyer's mind and this happens all the time and the more your stories can can put that information we don't want our story to be you know, we turned up and everything was fabulous and it was easy. It's never easy to, to have this. So what could have gone wrong? What maybe did go wrong? Let's talk about it in the story. So, you know, so the vendor was able to, to solve those problems. Yep. And, yep. and then we're talking about the final success, which is quite dramatic in this case. This, this was a very successful product, way more successful than the client thought it was going to be. They ended up winning an award and it raised the profile of their bank. And of course, subtly here, David Martinez is looking like the hero. And we really want the buyer to look like the hero because what's the context of telling this story? The context is someone from the vendor company is going to tell this story to another potential buyer. And we want that listener to experience what it's like to be our client. You know, yeah, What does it feel like? What does it feel like to be our client, right? This is like a try before you buy, right? It's a showing demonstration of what it's like to be our client. So we need the, the final part of this story to be how great the buyer felt when they, when they achieved this. And unfortunately, you know, most case studies are how great is the vendor after we have it. It's a bit of chess beating, right? But, yes, but that yes. doesn't do the work, right? That doesn't do the work of letting the buyer feel comfortable about working with you. I think that, you know, that element where you actually introduce the potential problems uh, it also conveys this humility about. It does. It, it's a little bit more humble as to how you portray your success. And, exactly. And I think that just speaks volume in terms of credibility of the, you know, the person describing the success. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not a bragging story. Bragging stories in general are problematic, aren't they? Yeah. Um, they pass the wrong kind of message. Yeah. Yeah. The well, other I thing to say a word about how I prepared to tell you this story because, you know, it was back in March and it's easy to forget stories. I, I will never forget the gist of this story. Yes. But I couldn't quite remember the facts. So sitting beside me on a piece of paper, and this is my recommendation to salespeople who want to tell a story, is... Early 2020, David Martinez, IT architecture, Credit Corp Bank, 14,000 ships per year, 235 million tonnes. That's it. That's all you need. That's all I need to be able to go and tell that Retail story it. to yeah. a client. You know, yeah. I just want to have yeah. a couple of facts. I forget those things easily. You know. So, you know, this um, project we're doing with the steel company, uh, they're about to go and collect some success stories, I think, mm. this week. 
and they heard your Panama story. I actually showed it to them oh, in right, video. Nice. Yeah, and it was. What did they think? Oh, they loved it. They thought it was great. They they said the the real emotional elements was hearing the success right at the end, the numbers, etc. Yeah. Um, but I said to them that look, don't go and get a group of people together and say here is the structure. Now you need to come up with success stories according to the structure. What I said to them was, get your group of uh, colleagues together. Just try to think of, you know, brainstorm success, run a little anecdote circle. Yes. Um, and for anyone who's interested in anecdote circles, we'll put a link to our guide uh, on anecdote circles in the notes. But then once they've come up with a series of successes and stories around that, then go and look at the structure and go, oh, what are we missing? What are we missing in this? Oh, gee, we didn't really talk about the concern or the problem at the, you know, the that that element of okay what do we have to overcome here and then they go okay we can put that in it's it's there right it's always there it's just a matter of them using it i think as a almost like a checklist to then retell the story again at a at a deeper level right yeah there's a, quite a few things that you said there that are worth opening up a little further i re, I, I absolutely agree that the first job is you know where have we had great success right when i do that with the sales team you know, they come up with all sorts of suggestions and they almost all sound like we had great selling success. And when I ask the next question, which is, okay, but what was the buyer's success and what's happened to that person now? Quite often the salespeople don't know because the sales team sells and then they move on to the next project and they don't actually know what the success was. So they've, they're so used to talking about success as their own success, they don't realize that they're actually talking about projects that maybe haven't even been delivered yet. So there is no success. So that's the first thing, like, let's make sure there's actually some success to talk about here, right? Yeah. That, yeah. that might seem obvious, but but it really isn't. It is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, get, let's find out where the real successes are. And then if you, if, if you've got that, and then you look at the structure, um, which we teach in story powered sales, in our training program, then almost always, Sean, there are th gaps in their knowledge. Yes. They don't quite know what the client was concerned about through this project. They, don't, they often don't know what the buyer's options were before they decided to go with them. And that's really interesting to know. Uh, and it, if you don't know what those options were, it's hard to set up that problem situation properly. So usually... I end up helping or I explain to them how to do this is to ring up that buyer that had success and, and ask, ask the right questions. And in our training, we have exactly the questions to ask in sequence. You know, yes. you need this information. So yes. there's almost always missing information. So even though Absolutely. there might be a case study already written, that case study is missing crucial information about what it was really like before the problem, what the options were, what the concerns were through the project and, and also what really was the success, including personal success. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I was looking back at some old, uh, and you know, in early days, we created case studies for, for anecdote, right? Yes. And, and they, were, they were populated, of course, with lots of anecdotes, which you'd hope that would be. Um, but we did call them case studies. And I'm just wondering, in the, is this new way of doing things, would you call them something like, you know, client success stories? Uh, I, I always try to avoid the word story if I can. Well, uh, yes, I don't. Yes, I mean it. What, are we, what would you call them if you had to write them down? A, a, can you write them down? Or is this mainly an oral tradition? You no, think? you definitely can write them down. I would call them success examples maybe, but yeah. um, if you don't want to use the word story, the crucial 
aspect for me is that the central character needs to be your successful client. client. You've got to tell it from their perspective. And as soon as you make that mind switch, the whole thing works. Yes. Psychologically works. Now, one of the things, you know, from uh, storytelling for leaders uh, is that we have almost like a cut down version of the success structure. Yes. And, And it really focuses in on what did the client feel before the problem was solved and what was the client feeling after the problem was solved. Yes. Now, we saw that in your story, right? It's, that's the heart of it. That is the heart of it. And because you want the listener who is, you know, a potential prospect uh, to go, I want to feel like that too, right? Because decisions, exactly. are, decisions exactly. are made based on emotion and then backfilled by rationale. I mean, this is, this is well known in, in the research. Uh, I think a lot of uh, folk wouldn't like to hear that, but that's the, that's the reality. Um, Tell maybe just uh, expand out a little bit about that feel before, feel after in the Panama. Example. Yes. So, you know, the, the feeling that David has at the beginning is this is too big for us. I, I, I don't think we can, you know, I don't think we can do this. Yeah. And the feeling at the end is, oh my gosh, we did it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, pretty simple, right? You know, yeah. it's, and it, with a nice contrast through, and but, you know, you're taken on the journey of the sort of ups and downs of that, you know. Yes. So, yeah, the, what, like you say, that three-part structure of, you know, how does the feeling change from the beginning through to the end yes. is, is another key to, do, to doing this right. Yeah. I, I might also just touch, since I'm an engineer, Sean, and I think in terms of systems, um, you know, most companies have a repository of case studies and salespeople will ask for the relevant case study when they're going to meet a new client. And, you know, and, and they will want to have the most relevant case study. So if they're going to go and meet the CFO of a mining company to talk about warehouse management, they would like to know another CFO of another minus mining company that solved his warehouse managing problems or her warehouse management problems, right? So success stories in that context, we, we want lots of them. We want a great many of yes. them. Um, because relevance is, is crucial. It's absolutely important that it's relevant. You know, the David Martinez story is relevant to another head of IT architecture, another IT manager that needs to appreciate the importance of these microservices into old legacy. Yeah, you know, systems. what was interesting uh, sharing that story with the steel company is that they saw it immediately relevant because they it was got a, the connection. Well, it was because of large asset business. There you go. Right. So that was the connection they were making. Um, and and they were doing a digital transformation, so it was about the technology element of yes, uh, of, of exactly. The solution. So. so you're right. Relevance is key, isn't it? Relevance is key. And what I say to sales leaders is that your bread and butter stories are these success stories because you need lots of them. You know, you might have one version of how you tell the company story or how you tell your personal connection story, but you need lots of success stories. And this is where the story bank the idea comes in. We need to collect these stories. Yes. Ideal format, in my opinion, is video. And as you know, we have an anecdote partner uh, story library. And our favorite success story is the one that we tell with Accenture, right? Because it used our global partner network. We used our partners all around the world to do a project in a short period of time for a big international client. And it's in our story story app, in our story bank. Yep. And not only that, but we have little examples, uh, seven or eight of our partners telling that story because they were also involved in that process. So they have a different 
flavor, a different perspective on that story. So they're telling it. And as a sales leader, which I, you know, I spent my career as, I really want to know that my salespeople can tell these stories. I want to hear them tell those, them. particularly the most important ones like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Hey, you know, one of the other things that I think is really important um, that goes with, it's almost like the, uh, what would you call it? Almost the metadata associated with the story. Uh, and that is uh, having some record of, of who was the salesperson who, yes. who made this happen. Because what often happens is that you hear the story and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I really want to know is dot, dot, dot. And you can, the idea is, unfortunately, there's a lot of churn in organizations. So Correct. sometimes those people are not around. But if you can at least get to them, have an email address, a phone number, have yep. a chat, that is just so valuable. Yeah. So in, in our story bank, um, we have the story. It's the Accenture story is told by Mark. Yes. And, um, but then we have a, a text version of the story. So quick, um, you know, so you can read it because it's faster to read often. And then we have the key facts of the story, starting with the contact person, you know, who could I talk to if I want more, but also a little bit like the facts that I just wrote down on the paper beside me so that I can quickly, you know, I've heard that story before, but what do I need to know to quickly tell it again? And then most importantly, Sean, what am I allowed to say? You know, am I allowed to name the company? Can I name the person? Now, look, I named the company and the person in the Panama Canal story because it's on the website and the client is there in video telling the story, right? So, right. so I know it's released, but that isn't always the case. So what is confidential? What's not confidential? Now, it's very easy to tell true success stories with a sim simple anonymous start. You know, we have a client, it's a bank in, a, in Panama and the head of the IT architecture will call him Peter way we go right so we've just anonymized the person's name and yeah. bank easy easily done but i'm going to tell a true story and it will come across as a true story because we'll put in actual conversation and moments and you know we'll yeah. put in as much as we can that still right. disguises it yeah yeah exactly but that's really important with salespeople because you can imagine what might happen otherwise you know you can lose you can definitely damage your reputation if you're not careful exactly now that's great now we, we like to, in this, in this podcast, we like to talk a little bit about where you might use that Panama story or where you might use the story. Yes, well, you've already surprised me on that because uh, you used it where I wouldn't have thought you would have. Well, there you go. And But I'm just <laughs> thinking, um, you know, like if you were to use that and put it into our listeners, you know, back pocket for their, their own uh, story uh, banks, if you like, uh, what would be a point that we could derive from that, you know, from the story. Um, you know, it could be as simple as, you know, that, um, you know, you can connect these behemoth, you know, computing systems to a, your iPhone app, right? Uh, and I think that's a, that's a one small thing. But I don't think that's the big point. I mean, what would be the bigger point that you could to share in, in this. Well, I think to David Martinez's situation where he's looking at something that's a bit outside his experience and, and he's jumped to like, this won't work. And I yeah. guess the point is, you know, there's great value in having a chat. Why don't you go and chat to some people that might've done this before? Yeah. And, you know, like sort of opening up your solution space options, you know, like, you know, oh, here's some people, I've got some people right here in our site that, that might be able to help me. Yeah. So that, that's a potential point that you could yeah. make. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
I'm just thinking also there was something around the fact that he was dealing with an economic system, a global economic system. Well, true, it was bigger yeah. than Ben-Hur, right? Yes, in terms that's of, right. He did not want to stuff this up. Um, I have a feeling that there's probably something else in that story. Well, you don't that. want to be the equivalent of that captain that put his ship sideways in the Suez Canal, right? No, that's right. <laughs> in fact, you know, it would be good to even put that little element into that story. You could do it, that, couldn't because you? Because it does make it quite visual. I remember seeing the imagery of, uh, you know, the 45 degrees cut off. I know, I know. Now, that um, actually happened after this story with the Credit Corp Bank, but, you know. It's, yes, uh, as, yeah. as a visual, it's pretty nice, isn't it? No, exactly. Yeah. Good. Fantastic. Well, I think and that's probably, uh, yeah. Might I was just going to say, um, the fact that you easily remembered and told that story uh, and was able to use it as an example of, you know, here's how a success story goes. Um, yes. You know, that's also useful to know, look, you know, here's this really boring company. Really all they're doing is, you know, they're doing this. Arc and here's, a, here's what a, a story would sound like that's visual and that you can imagine yourself in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you can do that, um, it's like you say, it's some of the key details that uh, you have to recollect so you can make it sound, um, you know, plausible, right? That's what it comes down to. People are testing the plausibility of stories. Or, yes, that's, that's right. And um, the, the buyer is doing that as well of course you know they're testing the plausibility of your stories and they're yeah. they're inferring things right they're guessing about yeah. your company all the time I'm, i might just make one point that um that um yeah the reason i do what i do sean is that i spent my life as a head of sales in big corporations mentally if not sometimes physically kicking my sales guys under the table because the standard salesy approach is to make big claims about your company. You know, we're the number yes. one provider and we're this and that, and we're the only ones with this thing and that thing. And it's the biggest and the best. And, and it's a very non-persuasive way to behave, but, but in absence of a success story, it's kind of default behavior. Unfortunately. Yeah. What else do you say? Exactly. And, and I guess you could ask, what do you infer about that software company? from this story. And it's all those things that a salesperson would like to chest beat about that beautifully, subtly, subconsciously come across in the story. And that's what makes it so much more powerful than that approach. Yeah. So we talked about, you know, contrasting it with case studies, but I would really contrast it with type A behavior of salespeople, which is, which is frankly pretty unpleasant for the buyers. <laughs> Well, Mike, this has been a terrific conversation. I think we should wrap it up uh, there. If, if for our listeners, if you're wondering where Mark is, uh, he's actually uh, making his way across the outback of Australia in his four-wheel drive. He's off for five weeks, uh, enjoying uh, the open air and starry, starry nights, I believe. So He's in the middle of the Sim Simpson Desert. If we hear from Mark, it'll be via the Westpac helicopter rescue, I would say. He's, right, uh... right. I think that's the, <laughs> the only possible choice. So thanks again, everyone. Thanks for listening in to Anecdotally Speaking. And, yeah, tune in next week for another episode of How to Put Your Stories to Work. Bye for now. Anecdotally Speaking was engineered by Dave Stokes from Author to Audio. <laughs>